You're listening to Beyond the Key. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Key. I am your host, Kaylee, and today I am here with a very special guest, my girlfriend, my best friend, Allison Gentry. How are you doing? What's going on? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm doing good. Um, I am currently a senior at GW. I'm a big music fan. I'm going to law school next year to pursue entertainment law. So I'm really excited to be here today and talk about music a bit. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been trying to get you on the show for a little bit now. So yeah, I'm super stoked. We're talking about The National today. The National is an American rock band from Cincinnati, Ohio, formed in Brooklyn, New York in 1999. So they've been around for quite a bit, longer than I had originally thought. So for those of you who don't know, The National is a band that consists of Matt Berenger, Aaron Desner, Bryce Desner, Scott Devendorf, and Brian Devendorf. The band released their first record, the self-titled The National, in 2001 on Brassland Records, which is an independent label founded by the Desner Brothers, This is also the same label where they recorded Sad Song for Dirty Lovers, their second record in 2003, which features songs like Thirsty and Trophy Wife. Something I've always enjoyed about The National is that they have had generally the same brand throughout their discography. We'll talk a little bit more later about how they experiment a bit, but overall, they've really stuck to their roots. Is that something that you usually love and look for in an artist? Yeah, I think that that is something I definitely like in an artist. I tend to historically dislike when artists kind of go off their brand and do something different because I think that the reason I'm attracted to an artist in the first place is what they do. So if they stray far from that, I don't always like that. But I think especially lately, some artists have been doing some cool stuff that's different from what they traditionally do and that I've liked. But historically, I kind of like when artists stick to what they do because I think they do it for a reason and they do it well and that's what's attracted fans to them in the first place. And sometimes I feel like though artists can do whatever they want, it can be kind of almost like a betrayal to fans when they stray too far from what their fans like them for. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with that. I think I, too, historically have been a fan of artists who stick down the same route. Um, That definitely goes against my Taylor Swift obsession because, of course, she has gone down many different musical paths. But, yeah, I would say I agree with you overall. I try to stay within the same artists that stick to the same vein of music. Um, But the albums have transitioned to becoming more experimental for the national. I mean, they've been making music for 20 years now. Um, we've seen the national have this progression of artistry where they've become a little bit more experimental, especially in their most recent record. I'm easy to find, which came out in 2019. Um, you know, we see them experimenting a little bit more with like, uh, voiceovers and different instrumental beats and different synths. And just, they're going a little bit past their alternative, um, kind of folky kind of vibe and getting more, um, instrumentally experimental, 
What are your thoughts on the way they've started to experiment with different sounds and voiceovers and things of that sort? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I definitely was kind of off put by it at first because it's definitely a change, but I have grown to really like it. I think that I'm Easy to Find is actually one of their strongest albums, in my opinion. I really like what they did with the experimental part of it and kind of the weird sounds and the beats. And like I said, it it was off-putting to me the first time I listened to it. And I was like, oh, I don't don't know if I like this. But um, as I listened back and I kind of went through the album too, I really saw where they were going, what they were going for. And I think that they did something really interesting because like you said, they've been around for so long that they have to do things to stay current. But at the same time, I can tell that they want to stay true to their sound and their roots. And so there's a fine line there and there's a balancing act. And I think they've done that really well with including this new, more experimental sound, but still keeping that kind of rock and roll indie sound as well. And I think they have such a unique sound that no matter what they do, it'll kind of ring true to their original sound. But I think they've made it more modern and really been able to go with the change in audience and attract a younger audience. I mean, I was born in 1999, the <laughs> year they were, they were created. Um, but I'm, a really big fan. And I think that one of the ways they've been able to do that is kind of move with the tide of music and become more modern while keeping to the sound that their fans they've had love and that attracts people to them. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, like you said, the national became a band in 1999 and music was very different then. And they're so easily translated to every moment in time they've been a part of and I think that's because they so easily transition into new trends while at the same time it's kind of a dichotomy right I mean they're they're continuing to grow and evolve while also staying true to their roots and staying true to their sound and I mean the National has had a very long discography they've had eight full-length albums we've had records on there like Trouble Will Find Me uh, which has one of their most famous songs I Need My Girl We have other records like Boxer, which is probably their most recognizable record as a whole. And we've seen them kind of transition back and forth. But while still remaining the same, I mean, Sad Songs for Dirty Lover in 2003, I mentioned like Thirsty and Trophy Wife. And I wouldn't be surprised if you took a song off of that, like took Trophy Wife and put on the Boxer record, if I would really know the difference. But at the same time, you can also see little breadcrumbs of how they've kind of evolved. So I think it's like a cool dichotomy and they like tow this line between, um, you know, staying true to themselves and also, you know, staying fresh. And that kind of takes me, you know, we're talking about all of their different records and I was thinking about the boxer and that's such a pivotal record, I think, for them. And they kind of started, you know, really taking up speed during that record. And they've funny enough, which I'm not sure many of our audience members know, is that they've been featured, their music has been featured on a lot of TV shows and films as well, um, which I think is really interesting. And um, it's just something I really love about them. And they've been featured on Parenthood and 
their song Start a War from the Boxer album, um, which is, I think, my favorite, probably my favorite, the national song. Um, Start a War was featured on Parenthood, Define Gravity, House, Friday Night Lights, Person of Interest, um, and even an instrumental of uh, Start a War was featured in Obama's campaign video, Signs of Hope and Change. So, Allison, I kind of wanted to ask you, do you discover a lot of music by finding uh, them from being featured on a TV show? And kind of with that, do you like when you hear an artist you love being featured on a TV show you love? I know you're a huge fan of Parenthood, and I know that kind of resonated with me when I heard them. So does that kind of reign the same for you? Yeah, for sure. I am a really big TV movie fan. Um, I pursued acting when I was younger, and I've always kind of been drawn to that creative approach. And for me, I love music, but I love TV and movies even more. And what I love about it so much is being able to be taken into a different world and kind of see, you know, you're really put into a different place and a different story and you feel like you're there visually, audibly, everything. And I think music plays a really big part of that story music sets the mood for that world you're in in a lot of ways of course dialogue does too but in you know so many of the most powerful moments in movie and tv happen in those silent moments of dialogue and those are the moments where music really tells the story and so i love when i discover an artist that way or when i hear an artist i love that way um the national, like you said, has played such an important role in movies and TV shows, in the in the soundtracks, and in making those moments. And I think it's because they have such a unique sound that is so powerful, and it really makes you feel something. And so it's the perfect song to tell a story when no words are being said in a show or movie. Like you said, I'm a, I'm a big Parenthood fan, and when I heard their songs, you know, playing in the background, whether they were quiet or loud, they really made me feel something, and I think that that just makes that dialogue, that scene, so much more powerful, so much more important, and so... I The National, to me, like I'm thinking of the scene in Parenthood where they play Runaway, which is one of my favorite The National songs. And it's when the daughter of one of the families has run away. And that may seem like an obvious choice for a song since it's called Runaway. But there was something about it playing in that moment where it almost brought me to tears because it was so impactful the way the sound played and the emotion behind the lyrics that matched the storyline of the show. And I think that's what, that's one of the things I enjoy most about music in general, just those moments where it has such an impact and sometimes it has that on its own too, but since I love TV and movies, I'm even more drawn to it in those moments when it adds to a storyline of something else. And I think that's what's so powerful about music in general is that 
it can apply to so many different stories. It can apply to your life story. It can apply to your best friend's life story in totally different ways that, you know, that's, it draws billions of listeners because everyone can relate to it in some way or another. And so I think that's what's so interesting about music being in TV shows and movies because it tells a story and it relates to a story that has, that is this world that isn't even our own, that's built out in whatever way. And I think the Nationals music is so perfect for that because it built out a world of its own and it's, it's so unique and the, the lyrics are odd and weird, but they make beautiful sense in some way. And I think that's why it's so great for those moments because it really fits into the other worlds created in the movie and TV industry. Yeah, for sure. And I think it definitely says something about the national lyricism and the way that it can translate to screen pretty perfectly and because they are so visual in their lyrics and in their music and they're 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 such strong storytellers and you can create on-screen moments through their lyrics which I think is super rare for certain songwriters I mean it's really hard to have music that is equally as personable and as vulnerable as it is um, translatable to different stories and different timelines and the national's ability to be featured on all of these different television shows that have all of these different scenes and storylines and characters. And it still makes sense on each of those in its own way, I think is super special. And I think it, it really speaks to their ability to kind of have this overarching voice of vulnerability and, um, you know, just overall this creative tone and, I don't know. I just think it's super special. And that's something that I've always really loved about the national. Um, and I think they've, they've, they've transferred their voice and their momentum and their music towards politics as well. Um, this is something that I learned while researching the national recently was that the national very, very big in politics, a lot bigger than I had originally understood I knew that they were super liberal and I knew that they were super progressive, but I didn't know to what extent they were really involved. And so the national supported both of Obama's presidential candidacies in 2008 and 2012. In July of 2008, the band uh, basically designed a T-shirt featuring Obama's image above the words Mr. November, uh, which is a reference to their song um, from Alligator, their record, and the month of the U.S. presidential election, obviously. And all the proceeds were donated to the Obama campaign. And then uh, in October of 2008, right before the election, the band played a rally for Obama uh, in their hometown of Cincinnati. And buses for early voting were available before the show to take voters to uh, the county board of elections so that they could vote. And um, again, in 2010, the national played in front of like 25,000 people um, before a speech at an Obama rally in Wisconsin. In 2012, the band opened for the president at a campaign rally. Um, so this, if anything, this just means Obama has great taste in music. Um, but in general, uh, they've really they've really shown up. And they've shown up. And in 2016, they played a concert for Hillary Clinton. And this is basically my long way of asking you, Allison, as somebody who does have such experience in politics, for those of you who do not know, she did pursue an undergrad in political science and political communication, how do you feel about artists speaking out on political issues? I think that it's a hot button topic. And I think it's cool that they're 
so not branded as being a political band while also supporting politics. I think that's like a very nuanced, you know, like I think a lot of artists do it to be artists that are in politics. And then some artists do it because they care about the issue. And I'd say that the national more of the latter, but what is your opinion? Do you, first of all, did you know that they were that involved in politics and what is your kind of thought on that? Um, all right. So I did know to an extent their involvement. I didn't know all of that. I think that we're, we're in a weird time. And if you asked me a couple of years ago, specifically about maybe six or seven years ago, how I felt about celebrities being involved in politics, I think I, my answer may be very different. I think right now we're kind of in a weird time when politicians, some of them want to be celebrities. And because of that kind of momentum and movement in that direction, celebrities want to be politicians sometimes. And we saw that with Donald Trump and we, you know, Will Smith now is saying he's considering running. The Rock is saying he's considering running. Like you have all these people with no knowledge of politics wanting to get involved in politics largely because it's a position of power and now there's a chance of it being yours and there's something cool about it. At the same time, I think celebrities have a very important role in in society where they're kind of put on a pedestal and the normal person looks to them for advice and inspiration. Um, I think a part of all of us thinks maybe one day we could be like them. And so we want to almost base parts of our lives around them. And I think that's part of the fascination about the celebrity world. And I think because of that celebrities do play such an important role in politics because they have a voice to so many and people do listen and people do want to hear what they have to say. And so I think that in that sense, it's become a world where, where celebrities feel they need to say something and sometimes do need to say something I think that's a fine line, though, and it's sometimes hard, especially now, not to cross. I think that the National has done a really great job of not crossing that line, and maybe it's because they're not, you know, the biggest celebrities out there. Yeah, they they lack name recognition. Yeah, yeah, but I think that, like you said, they kind of, play this role where they have done a lot for politics, but no one's going around saying they're, you know, uber political, as people may say about someone like LeBron James. Or that they're like the savior. Yeah. And so I think that like they kind of walk a nice spot on that line of getting involved and doing their part because I think, you know, as someone who is deeply involved in politics, I think we all play a really important role and we all have to do our part in whatever way that fits into our lives and what we do. And so I think in their celebrity stance, as much as they have it, they do a really great job of walking that line. But I do think that in terms of 
you know, other musicians, other celebrities, there is a careful line that I think sometimes people accidentally cross over and people are scared to cross over. So sometimes they don't do enough. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, musicians and actors and, you know, it's, it's hard because sometimes, you know, they're not doing enough. Sometimes they're doing too much. People have very differing opinions on whether or not celebrities or public figures that aren't politicians should get involved in politics. I do agree that the national have done a really great job of quietly supporting without naturally being associated with supporting. I think that they do just as much of an impact than trying to get clout for supporting politicians. Um, and it just seems genuine and it seems real. And I think you can easily tell when a band or an artist or an actor is, you know, uh, fraudulent, fraudulently supporting or when they're being, you know, genuine and real. And I don't know. I thought that was something really cool about the national. And that kind of brings me to, I know I mentioned name recognition and the national band has been around, you know, for 20 years and they've been featured on a lot of television shows. You and I are both very big fans of them, but in general, they're not, you know, they're not a household name. They're not incredibly popular. They're definitely a certain type of sound. And they have been recognized by the Academy, the Grammys, um, a few times in 2014. The National was nominated for Alternative Music Album for Trouble Will Find Me. And then in 2017, again, the National released Sleep Well Beasts, which granted them three Grammy nominations for um, Alternative Music Album, Recording Package. Um, And now to be a fan of a band that may not have as much public recognition on a national scale and not be recognized by the Academy, does that something that like phases you as a fan? Is that something that bothers you? I, I would feel safe to assume that it's a band like the national doesn't really give a shit about the Grammys. And I think that plays a big part in it. I know that the Grammys, you know, it's politics in and of itself. You're politicking to be on that ballot. Um, but in general, what, what, how do you feel like if you're a huge fan of a band like the national, and you love their music and you appreciate their music and you can, you know, sing it front to back. Are you dying for them to get some public recognition or are you liking that they're like the secret in your back pocket? Yeah, maybe I'm weird. Maybe it's selfish, but I feel like I am on the end of preferring things to be more low key, more quiet. Um, I think that I've always kind of been that way. Back when I was a young teenager, I liked Austin Mahone. Oh no! Don't, you don't need you don't need to tell anyone that. But my point is, I liked him over Justin Bieber because at the time, no one knew who Austin Mahone was, and so it was kind of like you were edgy. It was like a secret cool thing that like he had a small fan group, and he was like you know more willing to talk to that fan group because it was small and. Another artist that I like now a lot is Yolklore, and um, he's gotten a lot bigger recently. He's still on the smaller end, but I started liking him when there would be, like, I don't know, maybe 50 people at his shows, and it meant that I got face-to-face time with him, and I got to interact with him, and he knew or knows me by name. And would, you know, if I mentioned him on an Instagram story, he would respond. And, like, to me, I think that's something so cool 
about finding someone who's a smaller artist, whether it's, you know, in an artist that's a visual artist or an actor or a singer or band, when they're smaller, you get more face-to-face time with them in ways, whether it's, you know, literally face-to-face or it's just that, like, there's more recognition of you as a fan. And so though the national isn't at any level where I could, you know, be face to face with that, I think that there's, you know, there's something cool about knowing that you're not just maybe a face in a giant, giant, giant crowd. You kind of have some sort of recognition from them of like, you're, you're one of our fans. And I think that's something cool. So maybe that's selfish, Maybe that's, you know, weird, but I think it's, there's something cool about being a fan of an artist who is able to have those interactions with fans on a different scale than a superstar like Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber or someone at that level. I don't think it's weird at all. I mean, I think there's something to be said about when artists get too big, they become a commodity that is bigger than what they were originally had planned and it's bigger than what the fan could have expected and the relationship comes kind of severed and they become more of this like physical entity than they become a human being and I think there's something really unique about an artist that you know right the national they're not a small artist I mean they've been nominated for multiple Grammys they've been recognized and they work with Taylor Swift which I'll talk about in a bit um, but you know, at the same, at, at, in the same vein, they don't have that name recognition in a household or it's still cool if you were to meet someone at a party or at, you know, out to dinner and say, Oh, who do you listen to? If somebody says a national, I'm like, Oh, okay. Rock on. I know them too. And I feel like it'd be weird if I knew anyone else that knew them. So that's awesome that we both know them. You know, if they, if somebody said they like Taylor Swift, I'd be like, yeah, you and everyone else. Yeah. Like, so, and maybe it's not that rare, but it's like there's some sort of kind of camaraderie with it, some sort of social connection when it's not someone where like you expect every single person to know them and like them. I remember I was in a class once and someone was wearing a 1975 shirt and my professor was like, Oh, who's that? And you know, the the kid said who it was and what they, you know, that they were like kind of rock and roll indie and my professor said, oh, does, does anyone here know the national? And I think I was the only person in the class that raised my hand. And he, my professor was obviously a lot older than me and the kids in the class. And so like, I think like that level is kind of, it's cool and it's interesting. We're like, when you find someone like it's something in, it's almost something in common rather than like if you found someone who's a fan of someone that so many people like you're not going to think twice of them also being a fan right it's not a natural assumption it's more so of like a unique characteristic you have with another person yeah but i think it's super special and i think the national yeah they're like at that line where you know they're not they get the recognition they deserve. And honestly, I mean, I don't know Matt Berenger and Aaron Desner and all of them personally, but I don't think they're too worried about not being on the cover of every magazine and getting, you know, Grammy nominations and getting those uh, nods from the industry. I think they're perfect in their lane. But that kind of brings me to my next point, where, like, at the same end, Aaron Desner 
who is their songwriter and also um, plays a few instruments in the national began working with Taylor Swift this past year and Aaron Desner co-produced, co-wrote much of Folklore, which is Taylor Swift's um, last album, not most recent record, but her last record, and also co-produced and co-wrote much of Evermore, which is Taylor Swift's most recent record, uh, which is the greatest gift to me as a listener who's equally infatuated with both artists. And it was definitely like a crazy dream that, you know, somebody must have read my diary and was like, hey, uh, make Kaylee happy. And then he, they collaborated them together. But Regardless, you know, that, that it's pretty exciting to see somebody like Taylor Swift on such a high level, you know, working with Aaron Desner, who I've always admired so much, but, you know, isn't in the mainstream, especially, you know, pop scene, the way Taylor Swift has been. And it's a really cool experience. And they worked with Justin Vernon and it was really awesome. And so I know you and I have geeked out over this Aaron Desner, Taylor Swift collaboration and uh, Matt Berenger the lead singer of the national was on featured on evermore um, for Coney Island. And it's just been a really cool experience. I think watching the national bleed in to Taylor Swift's uh, discography and hearing, you know, like hearing a song off the boxer and being able to relate it to, you know, a song from folklore and hearing those same instruments and the same, you know, that same range of vocals and this similar lyricism. And you just hear so much of Aaron in, in the Nationals discography as well as folklore and evermore. And I think that's unbelievable. And I think it's really hard to do. And I really, you know, tip my hat to them. Um, but how do you feel about their collaboration? I know that we've talked about it a little bit and that, you know, obviously you're a Taylor Swift fan as well. But what was that collaboration like for you as a fan to see both of your, you know, fans, both artists you're a fan of kind of coming together in that way? Yeah, like you said, I'm a really big Taylor Swift fan as well. So I thought that was really cool for that fact alone. But also as I listened to the albums and as I re-listened to the national albums, I heard so many things that overlapped that it was almost – as if they were like part of the same album. And I actually pulled up lyrics from two of the songs. So get the receipts, get the receipts. So the two songs that like really stuck out to me, was I am easy to find by the national from their album. I'm easy to find. And right where you left me, which was part of the deluxe evermore album by Taylor Swift. And they're both have this same storyline of someone you love leaving you. And like, you're still there where they left you. And I think for the national, it kind of follows the storyline of like, I'm happy here. If you want to leave, you can leave and I'll still be here. If you decide to come back versus Taylor Swift, where it's more like, I'm so sad you left that like, I'm stuck in this moment. But at the same time, I think so much of that overlaps. And the lyrics that I was, like, stunned by was in Right Where You Left Me, she says, um, help, I'm still at the restaurant, still sitting in a corner I haunt, cross-legged in the dim light, versus I'm easy to find, where the lyrics are, if you ever come around this way again, you'll see me standing in the sunlight. And I just thought that was so fascinating, kind of the dichotomy of that, 
where if you really think about those songs together, like it almost sounds, even though the national song was before right where you left me, I'm easy to find almost sounds like it's right where you left me rewritten years later. And I thought that was so interesting because Aaron Desner did help Taylor Swift write the lyrics for that song. And so I thought that was like a fascinating combination. And like you said, like there's so many songs that have that relationship. Some just in the instruments. I I don't remember the exact song from the national, but there's a song in the national um, from one of their newer albums that has this same kind of like musical sound of metal clanking together and smashing that's in closure by Taylor Swift. And so I think there's kind of this, like they, they speak so much to each other. And I think that that's so fascinating and it just shows the power of the national that someone like Taylor Swift would like respect their creation so much to almost seem to base an album off it and duplicate it in ways. And I just like hearing those kind of things together. Like I wanted to make, I was literally looking up apps of like how I can make a mashup of the two songs because I wanted to like show people like, look at this, like, this is crazy. These two songs go together. They go together. And like, it reminds me of people like big Taylor Swift fans analyze like old lyrics to new lyrics and and are like, see, she said in this song, you know, X years ago, this, and she refers back to it in this new song. And that's how this felt for me. I was like, she's like referring back to the national in a way, but also the national like seemed like the future version of it. And so I think there's like this really interesting thing, like the, you know, she works with um, Jack Antonoff a lot, but like, you're not listening to Jack Antonoff's albums and thinking like, oh my God, that sounds exactly like that Taylor Swift song. Maybe like in the beat wise, possibly, but like when I read the lyrics, I'm not thinking like, oh, she like based it off of this. And I don't even really feel that way with musically, like maybe more in, with the instruments, like maybe, but like still, even then, like I'm like me, I'm like more thinking, oh, he used, you know, his style to influence this versus the Taylor Swift song. I'm like, it sounds like she based it off of this kind of, or she at least was largely inspired by this specific song that I can pull out of their album and say like these lyrics match up. And even in tone, like, and I think that that is just so fascinating and just shows that, like, their music sticks around and it's powerful and it it's impacting musicians of today and it's impacting songs and it's impacting listeners who don't even listen to the national. Like, there's going to be so many people who listen to Right Where You Left Me by Taylor Swift and never know that there is a national song that is so similar written by the people who wrote that song with her. And that's crazy to me because when I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh my God, like people should know this. People should hear this and like think how crazy it is that these songs go together like this, like as if they're like made to be a duet. 
And so I think that's just so fascinating. And I think, you know, the work he did with Taylor Swift was amazing. Those are my two favorite albums by her. I think they were just so unbelievably well done. And I know he had a large part in them. But I think also just looking at, you know, his music and individually or their music individually and then looking at it back to Taylor Swift's music that they created together and seeing that influence and that the way they duplicate sounds and lyrics and make it her own while still keeping the fact that like this is largely related to what the national has created. I just think that's fascinating. And I think it it's, it's amazing. And it shows the power of the national as a band and as musicians. For sure. And I, you know, it's breadcrumbs, right? I mean, they're, they're sprinkling breadcrumbs from album to album, from artist to artist. And I think that's something that Taylor Swift does a really great job of incorporating the artists that she collaborates with to make sure that those artists that she's collaborating with stick to their voice and that they, she makes sure that, you know, this isn't a Taylor Swift song. This is a Taylor Swift and Aaron Desner song. Aaron Desner has an equal part in creating the song. He has an equal part in producing the song and writing the lyrics to the song and you can hear it. And like you said, that it's, it's just magic. And, you know, you hear so many duets, you hear so many different, co-writing partnerships throughout music. I mean, um, Billie Eilish's brother Phineas is a producer and co-writer on so many songs in the top 40 and you would, you know, you may never even really know. And so I think it's very rare and I think it's very beautiful that Aaron Desner had a way of, hey, this is my world. If you're interested in my world, I'll bring it to you and you can work in my universe. But, you know, I'm not going to just play to your universe. You got to come into my world as well. And they talk about that a lot in the long pond sessions, which is for those of you who don't know, Taylor Swift's documentary on creating folklore with Aaron Desner and Jack Antonoff and Aaron Desner and Taylor Swift talk a lot about how this music just came out from them having conversations organically. They were just talking and they're talking about their past experiences and their friendships and their relationships. And they were sharing music and it just came out so organically. And you can tell because you can't make something like this up. You can't make that kind of partnership up. You can't make that kind of relationship up. And, you know, you you can feel that their universes are colliding rather than that they're just creating music together. It's very different. The National is such a brand and Taylor Swift has such a brand and they feel those worlds meet quite literally on the record, I think is pretty impeccable and it's a really big nod to the national for being able to have music that is so translatable and that's so creative that it can bounce to a superstar like Taylor Swift. I just, I don't know. It's incredible. Um, And kind of going off of the national, and I know we've been talking about Aaron Desner as kind of an artist. Um, He is, you know, of course the instrumentalist and the songwriter for the national. Um, But being a big fan of the national, being a big fan of the band, they've been together for 20 years. I have to mention this because I've been so fascinated by it today. Adam Levine from Maroon five came out and he said that the idea of the band idea of a band of members of a group is dying. The band as we know it is a dying art and that 
what's going on is a surge in solo artists and that the band is no longer relevant and bands are not going to continue to be popular. And I just have a lot to say about that because we're talking about a band. We're talking about the national who have been incredibly successful and have produced eight beautiful albums. And I wanted to ask you, do you, as somebody who's a super fan of a band, do you feel like the idea of the band is breaking? And if so, does that mean that the national stays the national or do they go with the flow of musicians and do they become more of what Aaron's doing, which is a bunch of side projects, which I think kind of is what Adam Levine's referring to too, where even members of bands are now doing solo stuff. What is your take? I agree and disagree at the same time. I mean, I think that no one wants to say they failed because they alone failed. It's a lot easier to make it, you know, the system we're in right now doesn't work for what I'm doing. My grandpa, Alan E. Cobra, was a very famous illustrator, and he kind of got in trouble once because he made a statement, basically, people were saying with the rise of photography, because this was a while ago, and, like, photography wasn't that common in things like magazines and newspaper. And with the rise of photography, illustrators were losing jobs because no one wanted to hire people to draw and do that kind of stuff anymore. They just wanted to pay someone to take photographs. And he made a statement that essentially was like, if you're a good enough illustrator, then you'll survive because you'll find a way to be an illustrator and you'll make yourself needed even if photographers are needed. And he passed away long before, you know, photography took over magazines and newspapers almost fully like it has today. But I mean, there are still illustrators that exist and do that kind of thing. And, and there's still people, famous. Yeah. And there's still people going to school to be illustrators and pursuing that career. Um, so, you know, he was right and wrong, right and wrong in different ways. And I think that's the same with Adam Levine, where there was bands that'll make it work, that'll always make it work. There's a reason bands are still being created and bands are still going on. I saw on Twitter that one of Imagine Dragons members responded and was like, oh, there's this thing called the Imagine Dragons. That's what they replied to Adam Levine's statement. And... I think that it's hard because I think we do live in a very individualized world and it's hard to always be collaborating and to be relying on other people and doing things. And it's easier to advertise one person and it's hard to not want to have a fight with your band members and break up. Um, but I think that there's still room in our world, too, for the band if the band wants to exist. Yeah. And I think, too, to object to Adam Levine's point, I'm sorry to break it to you, buddy, but who's playing the instruments in the background of the solo artist as performing? The solo artists still have bands. They still have drummers and they still have guitarists and they have bassists and pianists. And so if he's referring to whether or not bands can be commodified and sought after the way that Maroon 5 was, 
I don't know. But bands will always exist because that's how music is created. And I just, I don't know. I think it's very interesting. Like the national was featured on one of Taylor Swift's songs on Evermore. I think their drummer and their guitarist um, performed on one of their songs. And, you know, bands will still be utilized that way. They're still the professionals who are playing the instruments. And so to that sense, that logistical sense of, you know, whether it's a, um, solo artists like Dua Lipa versus a band like Maroon 5 or The National, Dua Lipa still has a band behind her. And whether or not they're recognizable and they're, you know, included in the name recognition is one thing. If we're talking about bands being branded, that maybe is a whole separate conversation. But the idea of the band, like you're saying, Allison, is always going to exist if you're successful, because if you're successful and you do it right, people are going to want to listen to you. And I think there's something to be said about how we're moving away from a long time of boy band eras and girl band eras. And in the eighties and nineties, we had a lot of rock bands and they were very much um, branded and marketed as this one commodity. And I think that is dying a little bit, but the national never really in that lane more so doing their own thing and seem to be successful doing that because at the end of the day, they're just artists making music together, much less poster trials for this, you know, artistry. Yeah. And I think that part of it too comes down to like how much the band or each member of the band has to offer and I'm not saying anything about Maroon 5 I honestly don't really know anything about them so I can't speak to their band members and what skills they have to offer but I do know about the National and like speaking to the National Aaron Desner isn't their lead singer who would traditionally be the one to go by you know go off by themselves and do something you know as a individual project but he is the one who did the projects with Taylor Swift. And he's one of the most recognizable members of the band. And he writes a lot of their songs. While still maintaining a band. Yeah. And so he, you know, not being the person that would go off and start an individual career as, you know, a solo artist has brought so much value to the band. I think maybe that's part of it. It's like how much does each person have to offer? Would the national be the national without Aaron Dessner? No. And so is the, you know, lead singer going to go off by himself and do an individual project? Well, it wouldn't be the same. Versus maybe, you know, Adam Levine feels like he could go off and do the same thing. I mean, he kind of has. And what did, you know, what was lost from that? Not much. And so I think that, like, maybe that's part of where the line is drawn of, like, how much does each member have to offer to you? And, of course, like, part of it could be that the National has brothers in it. So are they really going to break up? I mean, the Jonas Brothers broke up and they got back together because at the end of the day, they're they're brothers and any way they're going to be, you know, connected. So I think that that's part of it. But I also think a big part of it is 
just how much each member has to bring to the table and to gain something from being a band rather than a solo artist. And I think I don't, I can't speak for Maroon 5. I don't know enough about them, but speaking for the national, I think that they definitely gain something. I mean, the voice is something that is unique and special to them and distinguishes them and makes them amazing. But so is the songwriting. So is the guitar. And so is the name recognition. And like, so when we think of all these things together, of course they're going to be a band. Is that the same case for Adam Levine and Maroon 5? Is that the same case for a lot of bands? Some it is and some it isn't. And I think that's really important to this idea of whether bands will last or not. I think so much comes down to it, whether it's a boy band or a girl band or a rock band where only one person is singing, no matter what, I think so much of it comes down to how much, how much do people bring to the table? Yeah, it's how re- how replaceable the band is. I mean, how much say do they have? How much sway do they have? How much influence do they have in the work that they're be- that they're creating? I think the national is special in the sense that I think they all have a pretty equal part in creating the music that they create. I don't think every band is like that. I think there's some bands that there is a you know person in charge and there's a person running the show, and then in that sense you know, the band becomes a little bit less valuable if you can replace the drummer at the drop of the dime. But yeah, I think it depends. I think it depends on the band. I don't think the bands are necessarily dying in the sense that working with music as a team and as a collaborative group is still present and I think will always be present. I think the commodification of a band may be dying a little bit, less dying and more so just in a downward dive. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's it's changing in a way where, you know, we're seeing a lot of more solo artists. But, you know, at the t- there was a time, especially in the rock and roll era, where we were seeing no solo artists. And it just ebbs and flows. Um, but this kind of brings me sort of to my next question about performance and the national. Have you seen them live? I have not seen them live now. Where would you see them live if you had the choice? I had a choice. I would say I don't have a specific venue in mind. Yeah, give me the give me the the blueprint of the venue you would choose. Would it be like a small venue, a large venue? Can you see them close up? Are you in the back? What's the situation? I have mixed feelings because part of me is like I love I'm a big visual person. I'm a visual artist and so for me, visuals are something that I love about concerts. Um, one of my favorite people I've ever seen actually is Drake, just because I love Drake's music. But I also more importantly thought that the visuals, I've seen him twice, actually. And I thought both times his visuals were so unique and ahead of their time and fun to watch. And because of that, I think that like seeing them in a big space, a big venue would be so much fun because I would, I feel like they would do such cool stuff and I'd like love to see the visual elements that they bring with it. But saying that considering their music, I think you said something really important, which is that they, they really have made a universe of their own 
with their music. It's so unique and it has such a distinct sound and story that I think I would really like to see them like in a really small venue with not much going on, dim light, not that many people, no one's screaming and obscuring, you know, the music and just be able to like really take in the sound of it because I think it's so powerful that it almost offers a visual. With yeah, it speaks it. for itself. It, yeah, it offers a visual with it naturally that like I would really like to have that experience where it's like intimate and like you really get to experience their music for all that it is with no distractions and no interruptions. Yeah, for sure. No, I I, I would probably want to see them in like a mid-sized venue just enough that the sound is quality is good enough that you could really hear their instruments. If it's too small of a room, I would be worried that you wouldn't really be able to hear the instrumentals too big. People are going to start getting rowdy. People are going to start screaming. You don't want that feel like the national will bring around, you know, pretty diverse crowd. Um, and so I, I don't want people to get all rowdy. So I feel like, yeah, mid-sized venue, that sounds pretty good. Um, but we're about to wrap up here. I always ask everyone the same question before they go. I'll ask you the same. If the national were sitting here, you could thank them, tell them anything. What would you say? If I was to talk to them, I would say, Thank you for the music you make. I love it. I love listening to it. It's something that makes me sad and happy and angry and frustrated and excited all at the same time, all in the best way. And keep rocking. And (laughs) keep rocking. Well, that's great. It sustains a lot of our long car rides. Yes, it does a lot of our long car rides, the national plays in our car probably more than any other artist. It's when I ask Allison to put on a song in the car, the national nine times out of 10. So thank you to the national for uh, creating a soundtrack to our long drives up and down the East coast. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for being here. Uh, you're welcome back anytime you live with me. So you can't really get away even if you wanted to, Um, I'm grateful for you opening up and sharing your experience. Thank you so much to the audience for tuning in. As always, I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Key Podcast. And remember that there are new Beyond the Key episodes on Thursdays. And next time we will be talking all things Stevie Wonder. I'm super excited to talk about Stevie Wonder. Stay tuned, stay safe, and much love.